So thank you for joining us for our Leadership Effectiveness Unit. Uh, we're going to start bringing some of this knowledge together and, and uh, let's remember that what matters at the moment is, is kind of critical. You know, people won't uh, care about their self-esteem or their relationship inside of the community if they feel hungry or thirsty or there's financial insecurity. Um, if they feel personally or physically unsafe or they, they don't know the status of their loved ones. And, you know, we want to do this whole thing from a Maslow-informed perspective and, and know that the lower-level stuff, uh, that always has to be satisfied, whatever it is that you're doing. And, and uh, one of the critical components of, of, of good communication is maintaining a sense of status with people. And I like this, this quote from Carl Boehner, which is, they may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And if you think back in your own life, um, you know, you might have had relatives or teachers or, or mentors of sorts that, you know, kind of gave you a vibe and they didn't necessarily say stuff, but, you know, you were validated by them and it mattered. So um, the the thing that makes the difference between a good leader and a great leader is is your capacity for insight and to learn as you go. And I'm going to introduce a, a Buddhist concept called first look. The idea being that um, before you get, you know, all revved up and, and taking command of stuff or, or, you know, lighting somebody up that you think needs it or, or, you know, letting your ego get ahead of you and remind yourself that you got the big desk so you're the smartest kid in the room. Before you do that, you want to ask yourself, is any part of what I'm looking at right now a result of my bias or my actions. You know, is this some reflection of me that I'm seeing in this environment? Take a second and take a look at that before you act. And sometimes I think you'll you'll be happy with it. We we often you know we make assumptions based on our own experience, and and what matters to us just doesn't always matter to other people. And and that notion of shared values being the starting part of the conversation. Find out what's driving your people. What what matters mostly to them. And, uh, you know, the, the, the brain is a complex thing, you know, and it's, and it's wired for risk and reward. And we are always, always processing uh, inputs in terms of, of threat and reward, uh, safety versus the potential for death, food or sex. It's really apparent when we say go to a party where we don't know anybody and it's a room full of strangers, we can actually feel the thing working. Um, but it's also on any time you're out in public or even in a place that you feel safe. That that thing is running in the background all the time. And uh, that fight-or-flight brain chemistry, it's uh, present in social circumstances as well. So, you know, we approach when we feel safe and avoid when we're feeling f uh, fearful or anxious. So so what does that what does it mean to you as a leader? Yeah, we need to do a little bit of brain science here. And the amygdala is the... Uh, a piece of your brain, sort of midbrain, that uh, acts as a smoke alarm of your brain. And uh, just like a smoke alarm, it doesn't know the difference between burnt toast and a raging kitchen fire. So what it does is it identifies threats and uh, or the level of threats, and uh, it sends a signal to for the release of the fight, flight, or freeze hormone. So it's it's advanced, but it's kind of primitive in, in another sense. And, and the activation of your amygdala can uh, hijack rational thought because it 
confuses the frontal cortex and get in the way of good decision making. So absolutely it can misidentify threats and again it will do it so also in the in a social uh, context and if you want evidence of it um, there's whole industries devoted to amygdala hijack uh, uh, amusement park thrill rides, they're all about confusing your brain and making it think you're going to die. And that gives you the whole response to that. And another thing is, is like horror films and scare films and stuff. That's all part of that thing. And those things are working on purpose that way. An activated amygdala is going to cause, again, that rush of uh, fight, flight, or freeze hormones. And that will increase the heart rate and uh, heighten the senses for a while, about 10 minutes or so. So you can actually see and hear better for a little bit and it'll move blood away from the surface of the skin and uh, shuts down the digestive system that preparation for f uh, fleeing or fighting um, causes that blood to move to the lung muscles and that that blood will actually return after the threat's over and that's why you'll sometimes see people have a, a bleed out from serious wounds that weren't bleeding a few minutes ago because their body has returned to stasis and and they're there's blood's return to the skin. Uh, one of the other responses we will see is uh, a stress response that is physical. You get um, people going to respond in, in sometimes fairly predictable ways and if they've been exposed to, to a threat or to trauma or to a shock, um, they'll oftentimes get a physical response from that and that is oftentimes found in gastric events like uh, nausea or perhaps a lack of appetite sometimes will get uh, diarrhea. Fear-induced diarrhea is an actual real thing, don't kid yourself. And we'll also get uh, sweats and tremors as a result of, of a physical response to, to a huge surprise. Um, we also get uh, psychological ex and emotional responses. People can sometimes exhibit sadness or, or pull away and isolate. Uh, we see that loss of humor that I've mentioned from time to time and the, in, the, the brooding and sometimes we'll see that intrusive imagery piece come up there and it also appears in the cognitive. Cognitive piece is where uh, our ability to process data is kind of, uh, kind of conflicted with what's going on so we can be uh, a little bit forgetful at least more so than we're used to. There can be difficulty concentrating or managing language or memory. Uh, the senses can be altered a little bit. You can have uh, something like an auditory exclusion where you're not hearing properly. And uh, sometimes we do get the intrusive imagery and uh, the memories flashing back. And people are oftentimes really anxious when, when they're having those movies play in their head because uh, they think they're losing their mind and it's actually very normal. It's actually part of uh, a normal process to trauma. The symptom durations uh, for, for uh, a big surprise thing or our trauma is, is normally within three to seven days, those initial uh, symptomologies that I just mentioned to you, they usually dissipate in a, in a couple of days. But we, we, we say that any event that overwhelms uh, an individual's capacity uh, to, to deal with what's going on around them, that's what we call a critical incident. And uh, that can come from, again, a threat or natural disasters, that kind of stuff. Um, there, it, it's the foundational piece actually for uh, peer support is, is a critical incident stress response. A more acute um, stress response will often last two to three weeks. Um, and if it continues from the you know one to three month period, that's when uh, an operational stress injury will develop. And, and those are aggravated by repeated exposure. So if you're in a line of work where you know, you're, you're having this happen a lot and if, if during that period when you're supposed to be decompressing and, and normalizing and you get exposed to a fresh new trauma, 
Um, that can really aggravate the circumstance, take a lot longer to, to get better and maybe not even get better. So let's talk about um, disability. It's a word that's loaded, but what is it that makes people go off the job and what makes them stay off the job? And the single largest uh, cause of it is typically anxiety disorders, which, which will show up in many different ways. Also, there's several different kinds of depression, and, and anxiety and depression are the big cause of people being off work. And uh, we also have uh, substance abuse, addictions issues, and, and the current, current disorder thing, which you've mentioned before, where people have a, a diagnosable uh, medical, uh, psychological condition and psychiatric condition that they're trying to treat their own selves, and invariably it doesn't work. But um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, was uh, historically in the previous DSMs was uh, considered an anxiety disorder, and uh, now it's viewed as an operational stress injury. It's something that happens to you from something that happens typically on the job, and while you have that injury, if you're continuously exposed to uh, abuse and suffering that you can do nothing about, it certainly amplifies uh, the, the effects and, and the severity of, of PTSD. So let's go back to the conversation about building trust. And, uh, you know, in a big organization, you may not get to know people well enough to, to do much on the trust thing, but you can still be trustworthy. And... Uh, you can continue to build trust using that uh, braving model that we discussed earlier. And, uh, you know, as a new supervisor, uh, you can sometimes be asked to take a position on a topic. And uh, people might be feeling you out to, you know, for your perceived reasonableness. And the truth is that there's very few questions that people ask you that require an immediate immediate response. So I offer to get back to them with, with uh, an answer to what they've said rather than, you know, showing off at how bright you are and how well you know the policy. and that you're the smartest kid in the room, kind of avoid that stuff and, and access that institutional knowledge that, that's available to you and find out what the relationship history is of the conversation you're in. You know, sometimes people will try to pull you in a bun fight that's 10 years old just because you're a new supervisor and you can avoid that if you're smart about it. What I have uh, also found is that is, uh, understanding of people is the key to your success as a leader and and we get there by asking good questions we want to listen with curiosity and wait your turn don't interrupt let them fully finish their thought and and take in all of it the the nonverbal there's some uh, link to uh, Joe Navarro in our resources piece and he's very good at the nonverbal stuff so become familiar with that and while people are speaking to you, you want to reflect accurately what they're saying. And if they're struggling, you can paraphrase. So, so you say things like, oh, so I'm, I'm getting that you're dissatisfied with this outcome. You go, yeah, yeah, I'm not satisfied. So, okay, so, and, and from what you just said to me, I, I think what I'm hearing is, is that you, you'd like a different outcome and you need some help getting there. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I mean. So that's for people who, who are struggling and, and it really helps them galvanize their position. And then summarize as you must and repeat the keywords. And uh, we always ask to question for more a solution, uh, a solution that, that's more open-ended in our questions. So, you know, don't ask the, the hostile witness kind of questions that can be answered with a, with a yes or no. And validate uh, always, always, always with your feedback. Provide some validation. And, you know, being fair as a as a supervisor as a leader and it can be one of the biggest challenges that that you experience and part of it is it it's kind of hard to be fair to people that make it hard for you to like them so what um we need to remember is that being fair doesn't mean uh treating people the same 
Uh, you make reasonable accommodations based on specific needs. If one of your people comes to you and says and feels that they need more time to complete their tasks because they don't feel they have the skills necessary, they need a solution from you that's different than someone who comes to you and says, I need to do my tasks in different order because I get confused and I have to start again. So if you give the solution for the first guy to the second guy, that's not going to work, and the second guy to the first guy is not going to work. That, If you thought that was fair, that would be treating people the same. Fairness is about meeting their needs with the same level of concern. So one of the uh, things that I found that is really helpful with, with getting to know people is, is uh, over the course of time, you ask them these questions. You know, where, Find out where they grew up. People from uh, mining communities have different... Uh, uh, worldviews to people from uh, government communities. Even people from different parts of the same town can have different kind of views and attitudes. So find out about that gradually. And if they're from another country, find out about that. You know, it, it, that's really interesting stuff. And you know, you can learn an awful lot about people and, and keep going on that stuff. And then ask them what their parents did or do for a living. Um, you know, we learn our politics at the kitchen table, and uh, a lot of times people's views are shaped by the way they were raised. And, while we're on that, you check on the status of their relationship with, with their parents. They, uh, you know, if they are not in contact or they're estranged from them, um, they have a weaker support system than the rest of us. All you know, recent immigrants have left their families behind. They have very, very weak support systems. So be aware of that when you're talking to people. And, and it, what I found is um, you don't necessarily like them afterwards, but you can understand them well enough to be fair to them. That's kind of the goal. A lot of uh, diagnosable behaviors, they start to show up in adolescence and uh, treatment for those issues is often delayed until people are well into their 20s. And you know, depression rates in the post-pandemic, depending on what you read, are anywhere from 10 to 15% to close to 30%. Anxiety rate, rates will fluctuate from 15 to 20% and are always the largest group. Concurrent orders, again, we talked about that a little bit. That's in the 5 to 10 percentile. I kind of think that's underreported, but that's the numbers that we're given to work with. And, and remember that your role is to use the mental health continuum to identify behaviors, but you don't diagnose and act on what you, what you observe. And again, I'm going to bang at it again, take some good notes and nudge people towards care. You know, you cannot keep a plan of self-harm or injure or plan to injure others or any suspected uh, neglect or abuse of a child private. You have to act on that. I don't care where you are in the world when you're hearing this, you got to act on that. It's a moral and ethical imperative. Um, so let's talk about some, some individual recommendations. Um, watch for those same changes in your own self, uh, moving from uh, right to left. And uh, we talk about something called falling up. You know, you're, you have a decision to make about what your experience can and have done to you. And uh, this isn't to suggest that you can neutralize an illness just because of the way you look at it, but you can become a better, happier person if you let those issues happen to you, get you stronger and increase your resilience and make you in a position where you can help more people. Falling up is a decision and it's entirely up to yourself. So we encourage you to practice gratitude. We encourage you to meditate and do the breathing exercises. And for heaven's sakes, use your benefits. That's what they're for. And after an event, when we talk about the circumstances of an event, you know, the helping value of talking is 
in examining the responses that you've made that are working and the health improvements that you're getting from that. It's not in rehashing the old details of, of some trauma. That actually doesn't help anybody and can re-traumatize people and trigger folks. It doesn't really help. But the journey afterwards, that's where the value is and that's where you can step in as a leader. Thanks for watching. We'll look forward to seeing you in the next module.